Okay, so today we're going to focus in on the resurrection, but I want to start with the Last Supper. We'll look a little bit at the crucifixion, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move into the resurrection. So, as we speak today on Easter Sunday. So, if we look in Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22. Mark 14:22, it says, While they were eating... He took some bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, Take it, this is my body. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So this is the Passover feast. This is the time when he is gathered together with his disciples, taking the Passover feast. And it is this very evening then, that very evening that he was to be picked up in the Mount of Olives. He was to have been arrested. And then there would be a trial. In fact, there would be, there would be a, a, a trial that, that, that would be administered. And then he would be crucified on that Friday, and he would spend part of Friday, all of Saturday, and just touch into Sunday, and then that Sunday morning he would rise again. And it says, even, even the, the sun had not even come up yet, in that it says that the disciples came, the women came, while it was still dark. So it, it touched into Sunday, but uh, the sun had not a, a, even risen. Yet, So, for those of you who like to go to sunrise services, if you get there and the sun has risen, it's too late. Because, because this actually happened before the sun had even risen. But in any case, you see that if you understand something of, of the liturgy that goes on in the, in, in the uh, Passover feast, there is something that's glaring and striking to a Jew that would read this. And it's that in verse 26, after singing a hymn, so in other words, in the scriptures, actually what it says is they hymned. There's a series of psalms that they recite. They recite to a a chanting sort of sound that is done today, even to this day, the same psalms that were sung then are sung now. And then this is closed off with the drinking of the cup. This is closed off with the drinking of the cup. And the drinking of the cup is not here. So what happened was, they sang the hymn and they never closed out the Passover feast. They didn't take of the cup. And so I know to the Gentile mind, oh, well, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. No, to a Jew it's a very big deal. That this was never closed out. They had never closed this service out from this cup. Now look in in, uh, in John, the Gospel according to John. In John chapter 19, and we're going to look at Jesus on the cross. So this is the last portion of Jesus on the cross. And it says in John chapter 19, we'll start reading from verse 28. And after this, John 19:28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. So here is Jesus on the cross. He has suffered on the cross, so he's gone through this hours of suffering where he suffered for the sins of humanity. Where he went to this place 
uh, of Sheol, and he witnessed and he testified, where he did all of this. It has all been finished. It has all been accomplished. But he's still on the cross. This is moments before his death, maybe even seconds before his death. Could well have been less than 60 seconds before his death. He says something very strange. Earlier on, during the crucifixion, they tried to give him a drink and he'd had nothing to do with it because in that drink there's an anodyne, there's, there's a sedative to take away some of the pain, but he didn't want that. He wanted his wits about him. But now, all of a sudden, just before he's about to die, he says, I'm thirsty. And a jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put the sponge full of the sour wine on a branch of hyssop and brought it to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up the spirit, gave up his spirit. Okay, so here is Jesus moments before his death. He has accomplished everything he needed to accomplish on earth. He has just been crucified. And just moments before his death, he says, I'm thirsty. This is odd. What a strange thing to say. Why not something more profound? Rather than, I'm thirsty. But this is what he says. I thirst. They take sour wine, they put it on a sponge, they put it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received it, had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. What is finished? His work that he was to accomplish, but what he had just finished was the Passover feast. He said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom. The kingdom is being ushered in. He is now drinking of the wine. The thing that he didn't do in the liturgy of the Passover to close it out, with the drinking of the wine, he has now just done, and he says, it is finished. He bows his head and he gives up the spirit. You see, to him, this was much more than just a simple drink. Why would he say this? Because he was accomplishing something. Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is the chapter on the resurrection. Start reading from verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain, unless you believed in vain. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time. Most of whom remain until now but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And last of all as to one untimely born he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than them all, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. 
So Paul is, is starting this and he says, I'm going to tell you something. He says, I'm going to make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which also you stand. He says, I'm repeating to you the gospel which I've taught to you. I am reiterating the, the basics of what I've taught to you before. By which also you are saved. He says, listen up. This is important. This is upon which you are saved. This is not some doctrinal uh, uh, gloss here. This is, this is the part upon which you are very, uh, y- y- your very salvation rests. He says, in fact, in verse 2, unless you believed in vain. So, in other words, there is a way to believe in vain. So, it's not just anything we believe, we're okay. No, he says, if you don't have this, everything else is in vain. It's in vain without this. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So He's saying to you, I am delivering to you as of first importance what I also received. This is the most important thing. You want to know the most important thing of your faith? Here it is. That Christ died on the cross... He was buried and He rose from the dead. This is the most important aspect of your faith. This is the most important thing. And then He starts to give some evidence for this. He says, and He was raised on the third day. Then He says, He appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So He appeared to to, um, uh, Peter. Peter's uh, other name is Cephas. And then He appeared to all twelve of them at once. So first he appeared to Peter, and then he appeared to all twelve. Now we know that he appeared first to Mary and to the women. He appeared first to Mary and then to other women before he ever appeared to Peter and to the other twelve. How do we know this? Because the scriptures say this. Why does he say he appeared first to Cephas? Because women had no legal standing in that day, and so their testimony meant nothing. Their testimony meant nothing in that day. And in fact, it is the Gospels who are the great liberator, the great liberators of women, the great liberator of women. It is the Gospel that have talked about this. It is Jesus who ministered to women. But in that day, in this culture, whether you were talking about Jews or whether you're talking about the Roman Empire of that day, the woman's testimony meant nothing. So it wasn't as if the woman could testify in court and it would have any meaning. It had no meaning. Whatever the woman saw, it didn't mean anything. It is today as if, as if uh, um, you were to ask the family dog, what did the burglar look like? You know, is this the burglar that robbed the house? You know, and the dog nods its head. The dog's testimony would mean nothing in a court of law. So, if that offends you as a woman, let it offend you, but that was the culture of the day. All right? So, this is the history as it is. Take it for what it is. So he doesn't even mention the women here. The Gospels mention the women because the Gospels are not bound by this. But here Paul is giving a legal account for what happened. And he says he appeared first to Cephas. This is the first valid testimony. First appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. Well then, who were the twelve? Because before Jesus died on the cross, remember, uh, Judas had hung himself. So who were the twelve that he appeared to? Well, remember, you may remember that, that in the upper room, they drew lots 
for someone to replace Judas because Judas was now gone. And the lot, it says, fell to Matthias. So Matthias was very much now considered one of the twelve. So he appeared to Cephas, then he appeared to the twelve. In other words, to all of them, including uh, Cephas being one of the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. This is important. Most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. So here, this is being written to the Corinthians, uh, probably some 20 years after, 20 plus years after the death and resurrection of Christ. So he says, some of the people are now gone, but of the 500, many of them remain. So in other words, you can go and ask them. You can go and ask them. Do you see, when you're building some story, you don't say, here's 500 people that saw it, go and ask them. You don't do this if you were fabricating this story. And he says, most of them are still alive to this day. Go and ask them. The other thing is that if you say that his resurrection was a hallucination, hallucinations are not shared. You don't have 500 people hallucinating the same thing. Hallucinations are individual things. So again, this is authenticity that this has taken place. And then it says, uh, uh, after, so he, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. So James was his brother, his brother James. It says that his brothers did not even believe on him. So if you feel that, oh, you believe and your family members don't believe, it's so hard, well, get used to it. This has happened to many people in the world. Jesus himself was not believed upon by his own brothers, who used to even mock the types of things that he would do. But now he appears to his brother, and his brother comes out very much believing and becomes the leader of the Jerusalem church. This is different than, than, than uh, James uh, uh, the the uh, the apostle, uh, I'm sorry, who was one of the twelve. James, this James became an apostle, but uh, um, the James who was one of the twelve died very early on, very early on after the resurrection. One of the first martyrs there. But this is James, the brother of the Lord, who we see him in a very active role in Acts chapter 15, being the head of the Jerusalem church. He is in fact the one that Paul when he goes to Jerusalem for the first time, that, that James extends the, the, a hand of fellowship to him. So you see that he appears to his brother James and then to all the apostles. Well, who were the apostles? Well, I know today many people will say, oh, this is apostle so-and-so, apostle so-and-so. According to the scriptures, apostles can only be apostles if they have seen the risen Lord. They have to have seen the risen Lord, and then they are called apostles. Because Paul says of himself, when he's trying to prove his apostleship, he says, have I not seen the Lord? Paul saw the risen Lord and used that as an example of his apostleship. Plus, I'm not sure why anyone would want to be called an apostle today. Because every apostle in Scripture, the vast majority of them had a very severe death. I mean, it's not an easy thing to be called an apostle and really walk in it. But they had to have seen the risen Lord. Paul saw the risen Lord. Jesus appeared to Paul. 
And in fact, Jesus himself instructed Paul. So when Paul says, I delivered to you in verse 3, as of first importance what I also received, well, where did Paul receive this from? He says he did not receive his understanding of Jesus Christ from flesh and blood. Remember, when Paul got saved, he went off into the wilderness, and Jesus himself, he says, instructed him. So Paul's instructor on these things was not Peter. It was not the other apostles. Paul himself was instructed by Jesus. And he says, I'm delivering to you as the first importance what I also received. I am sharing with you, he says, the things that Jesus himself taught me. The resurrected Lord taught me these things. It says that he appeared then to all the apostles. So there were many apostles like, like Barnabas and Saul. Those were apostles that had walked and ministered with Paul. They had seen the risen Lord. They were there in Jerusalem. They saw the risen Lord. These were people very early on in the ministry that had seen the risen Lord. Maybe they were part of the 500, but they had seen the risen Lord. We don't have many of those people today walking around. The Lord Himself can appear, and sometimes He might. But remember, that was the testimony of an apostle scripturally was they had to have seen the risen Lord. And it says, and it says uh, in verse 8, And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So, here is Paul's testimony. Paul says that he is the least of the apostles, not because he's the least well-trained, not because he's the least knowledgeable, not because he came on the latest, but because he had persecuted the church. It is one thing to be indifferent about the Lord. It is another thing to openly persecute. It is one thing to just not give mind to the things of God. That is one thing. It is a different thing to come against the ways of God. And Paul acknowledges that and he says, I don't deserve to be an apostle. I was a persecutor of the church. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Whether it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. So he is reminding them what you've taken on when you say you've believed. Now in verse 12, So if Christ has been preached, that He has been raised from the dead, how is it that some of you say, there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that He raised Christ from the raised Christ whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. I mean, how much more explicit could the man be? He says that we preach that Christ has been raised. How could you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, many people will say, yes, I believe in a resurrection, but I believe in a spiritual resurrection but not a physical resurrection. In the concept of Judaism, there was no concept of spiritual resurrection without a physical resurrection. That's one thing. The second thing is that this is the dividing line. Many people will say, oh, I believe in a spiritual resurrection. Um, I, I, had, uh, um, I had 
lunch with a, a professor uh, at Rice who's in the religion department. And as soon as we sat down, I said to him, do you believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ? And he said, I believe in the resurrection, but not the physical resurrection. I said, what do you mean? And I said, he's a, a spiritual resurrection, a figurative resurrection in a sense. I said, how about the physical resurrection? He says, no, not the physical resurrection. You see, that's the dividing line. That's the dividing line. To believe in the physical resurrection, he says, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is in vain. He says, your faith is in vain. He says in verse 14, your faith is in vain. Then in verse 17, he says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, you're still in your sins. And you see, back in verse 2, he says, unless you believed in vain. So it is a, there is a way to believe, but believe in vain. So in other words, if I were to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, but if I don't believe in the physical resurrection, my faith is in vain. Keep your finger there and you turn back to, to uh, Romans, Romans uh, chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. This is the clear verse that shows what one must do to be saved. I mean, it couldn't be more clear. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So, so you see that I have to be able to confess that Jesus is Lord, but that's insufficient. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Critical to our salvation is that we believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do I say physical? Why is physical important? Because Paul just went through and documented. Jesus appeared to Cephas. Jesus appeared to the twelve. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. He appeared to them. And then he appeared to James. And then to all the apostles. Jesus dealt with the physicalness of his resurrection. This is something that Jesus dealt with. If you turn to the Gospel according to Luke. Let, let's, so, so here Jesus is, is making several appearances. And let's turn to Gospel of, of Luke chapter 24. Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Let's start reading from verse 36. Luke 24, 36. And while they were telling these things, he himself stood in their midst and he said to them, Peace be to you. Okay, so the Bible tells us that Jesus stood in their midst. Well, maybe the Bible is just speaking figuratively. Jesus stood in their midst figuratively. Maybe. Well, let's see. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. So remember, they're all seeing this at the same time. Verse 38, And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. You see what Jesus is doing? He's saying, touch me. He says, I want to be sure that you guys are going to be really important to the going on of this ministry. I want to be sure that you understand, I'm not just a spirit, that my flesh has risen. I want you to touch me. 
I want your hands on me for you to touch me. This is what he says. And in verse 40, when he said, had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still not, could not believe it, because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Now I ask you, have you ever seen a spirit eat? Have you? No, because spirits don't eat. Jesus ate. He wanted them to be really sure that he had risen physically from the dead. And so he says, uh, you got something here to eat? Well, what do they give to Jesus? What did they know? Remember, what, what did Jesus do? When Jesus was, was, uh, was on the beach, what was he cooking for them? What did he cook? He cooked fish. Remember, they came in from fishing and he, uh, it says they already had fish there cooking for him. He, they, he loved broiled fish cooked over the fire. They knew Jesus loved fish. Remember when, the, when he had to feed the 5,000? What did Jesus multiply? Bread and what? Fish. Jesus liked fish. They knew the man liked fish. So they thought, well, if this is really Jesus, he'll like fish if we give it to him. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, which seems to be his favorite food. He took it and he ate it. Here he demonstrated to them through the physical that he had physically risen from the dead. Turn to, to John, John chapter uh, 20. John chapter 20. Let's start reading from verse 19. John chapter 20, verse 19. So, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. Okay, so here are all the disciples hiding. They're hiding, they're afraid of the Jews. Why? Because they killed, just killed Jesus. And Jesus had said to them, If they do these things to me, they'll do the same things to you. Jesus had told them this. So, here they are hiding. Because they just killed Jesus and they're, they're hiding. So does this look like people who are, are convinced in their heart that Jesus is risen from the dead? Does this appear like a group of people that are saying, Oh yes, he's risen from the dead. Yes, yes, yes. No, they're hiding. They're scared. And he says, for fear of the Jews. And Jesus came and he stood in their midst and he said, Shalom. Peace be to you. Shalom Aleichem. He said these, this to them. He said, peace be to you. The same greeting that is still used today in Israel. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, peace be to you. As the Father sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Here again, spirits don't have to breathe. Why does a spirit have to breathe? What is it they are oxygenating when they breathe? Have they hemoglobin that they have to oxygenate? No, this is something of the physical. They don't need oxygen. They don't breathe. Jesus was breathing. So it wasn't as if he was in some amazing state where he didn't breathe. No, he was breathing. And he breathed on them. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any... 
Their sins have been forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the imprints of the nails, and put my finger into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. So does this Thomas look like a guy who's trying to believe Jesus? Who's trying to psych himself up into believing something that he has not seen? No. He seems like a normal person who's going to say, I don't believe it. I don't believe he's risen from the dead. All right. I will only believe it if I see him. And none of these, you know, murky sort of things, you know, in the dark where you say, you see it there? You see, it just went by. No. I want to see his hands. I want to see the holes in his hands. I want to see, I want to stick my finger in those holes. And in fact, remember the hole in his side where that that, that centurion has stabbed the sword in his side? I want to stick my hand into that hole in his side. And only then I'll believe. Now, this is is a normal skeptic. Right? This is what you should be saying. This is what should be said. I want to see for sure. You're telling me he's alive. All of you are crazy. You're all crazy. I don't believe you. And I won't believe you. You're not going to play any tricks on me unless I stick my hand into his side and see if he's really alive. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst, and he said, Peace be to you. So the doors were shut. Nobody had to open the door for him. He just walked right through. Jesus has this ability now. And he says, Shalom Aleichem. Peace be to you. And then, what does he do? Then he said to Thomas, Thomas! Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands and reach here your hand and put, into my, put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believing. So he says, Thomas, come here. He, comes, he says, I want you to stick your hand right here in this hole in my hand. Now I want you to do something. I want you to see, see what I got here. I got a hole here in my side. I want you to stick your hand in there. Thomas said, no, it's okay. He says, no, you stick your hand into my side. This is what you need. You stick your hand into my side. No, I want all the way in. Put your whole hand in there. Go right up into me. I want your whole hand right into my side. And feel around in there. Feel it's warm. My heart's beating in there. And so what does Thomas do? Here is the guy who was the only sane person among them, he thought. He says, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who who did not see and yet believe. So, this is such an incredible message. Think about this. Why would any sane human being believe in a physical resurrection from the dead? How can this be? I haven't seen the risen Lord. I have not put my hand into His side. How can this be? This is a strange message. Why not if I were going to start a new religion? 
and I wanted lots of people to come and be a part of the religion, why wouldn't I say, Jesus was a great teacher, I could even say Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus loved little children. Jesus had many good things to say. But why would I say, and you've got to believe, you have to believe, He's risen from the dead. I mean, this is ridiculous. Why set the bar so high? Not only this, if they had been faking this religion, they would have, they, 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 they wouldn't have died for it. So, so what happens is, you don't die for a lie. All of them died for this. You don't die for a lie. You don't go to the, go, go to the stake and, and, and die for this. You'd say, oh, <laughs> it was all a joke. You know, yeah, we, we really stole the body of Jesus away. No. They, they saw the risen Savior. All of them. All of the twelve, eleven of the twelve died. The, the, uh, um, John was banished to the island of Patmos and died there. But all the other ones, it says some of them were flayed alive. You know what flayed alive means? It means that they tie them down and they start slicing off their skin and peeling it off. So they're alive, but they peel off their skin. Now you can't live long like that, but you can certainly live hours and maybe days like that. And it's got to be extremely painful. But some of them were flayed alive. Don't you think they would have said, Joke! April Fools! If it had not been true? They died. You, you, you don't die for a lot. We believe Jesus. We believe Jesus based on this testimony. But it's not just based on this. You see that they believed Jesus. They believed in this resurrection because of what they saw. They knew it to be true. They knew it to be true, hence they died for it. Now Jesus said, you have seen this and you believe, but blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. This is such an incredible message. It could only be from God. Only God places within the heart of a human being to believe this incredible message. It is so utterly incredible that only by God could a man believe this, could a woman believe this. Because God places it in the heart through His Holy Spirit that yes, I believe. Because the message is true, the Holy Spirit works on the heart. This is why you hear these stories of men going in the villages and they preach the gospel and they start believing in the resurrection. How can this be? Because the message comes from God. There is this evidence we have in the Scriptures, but it's the confirmation of the Holy Spirit that makes this incredible message credible. I had lunch with a, uh, one of the, the members of the chemistry department one day, and uh, I asked him if he believed in the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I knew him to be teaching a Bible study in the Methodist Church, an older man. And he says, well, no, I, I don't believe in the physical resurrection. You know, when we die, we just change frequency. You know, this has got to be a chemist thing. You know, to say we just change frequency. What, what, what part of the frequency? The frequency of breathing, yes, that changes. You know, there's these electrical pulses, okay, those start changing. But this is all he could get. Well, anyway, he, about five or six years later, he was very old and he, he had, had, uh, 
he was driving around in one of these little carts, and I knew the guy couldn't live much longer. But like many chemists, he liked, he wanted to die in the saddle. You know, he was going to you know, just work until he died. And I knew he didn't have much time left, and I wanted to take him to lunch, to lunch again to reconfirm and reshare with him again. But he couldn't even get over to the Cone House for lunch, so he arranged to have lunch right there in Dell Butcher Hall in one of the conference rooms which was just down from his office. And as we sat in this conference room, I started sharing with him again. And I said, you know, John, Jesus rose physically from the dead. And the Bible says we must believe this in order to be saved. And I read him some of these verses. And he said, you know, I don't have a whole lot of data points on resurrections. But if it's Jesus, this I can believe, that he's risen from the dead. And my heart just leapt for joy. And the man went to be with the Lord two weeks afterward. And uh, after he died, I sent some messages around to some of my colleagues, what John had said right there at the end. How could you take a man and have him believe this? It's because it is confirmed to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is an essential for our faith. The resurrection, the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is an essential for our faith. It is not some mystical, spooky thing of a ghost or a spirit. It is a physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in this we must believe. Now, there will be a resurrection also of everyone else. And you say, well, your body is decomposed. Look, God put the atoms together once. He can do it again. It's no problem for Him. The atoms have not gone away. Did you know all the atoms are still there. You know, they, they may end up in different places, but he can reassemble them. He knows how to do this. The atoms stay the atoms. They remain the same. The molecules break down, but the atoms are there. He can put them together again. But you don't even have to believe in that to be saved. The bar for salvation is that we be- confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that He has risen from the dead and we shall be saved. You don't have to believe in creation. You don't have to believe in, in, in uh, uh, the virgin birth. You don't have to believe in any of this. You only have to believe that Jesus is Lord and that he, confess that with your mouth and believe that He's risen from the dead. And in that, you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the truth of the Scriptures. I thank You for the truth of the resurrection. Thank you, my Father, the glorious resurrection. Thank you, Father, for that truth. Father, I pray that you take these young people and so minister to their hearts the truth of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Father, for those here who might have never before believed in the physical resurrection, or for those that hear this message online, that might have never believed in the physical resurrection, Father, I pray that you would visit them with a touch that they might believe this incredible message that Jesus has risen from the dead. And in this I thank you. Amen.